Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our new series called A Faith That Works, where we're going to go uh, through the book of James. If you want to go ahead, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to James, uh, the very beginning. If you have your phone, you just click on James, all right? It's pretty easy um, when you open up that Bible app. But while you're searching for James, I just want to uh, remind you that this Tuesday, we're going to have a men's morning Bible study. We're going to go through this five-week series called Fight. It's going to be 6.30 here at the church, 6.30 a.m., all right? It, it can, you can get up a little bit early. It'll be all right. 6.30 a.m. here at the church in the fellowship hall. We'll have some coffee, a time to talk, hang out with some other men, and um, do a study together. So I want to invite all of you out here um, uh, to that. Um, now let's go ahead and jump into our study. Today, again, we're, again, we're going to be looking at the book of James. If you're familiar with the book, how many of you have read James before? Four of us, okay. The rest of you will go through it together. Uh, we're going to go verse by verse through however long it takes. It could be, <laughs> well, I don't know. We're going to be here in a while. Just we're going to camp out in the book, all right? But if you're familiar with the book, you probably have a love-hate relationship with the book. You may love it because it's easy to understand. It's one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand which means you may not like it because you actually understand what it's asking of you. Even if you read the King James Version, I'm pretty sure you can understand what James is telling you. And because of that, it's, well, you're going to struggle. You see, James doesn't hold back. James is direct. He's blunt. He's to the point. James doesn't particularly have in mind your feelings when he's writing his book. You see, something else is driving him. James is so unique. He has a story so different from any of us, any different than anybody could have. And when we understand his background, when we understand what he went through, who he is, perhaps we'll appreciate his style of writing a bit more because, you see, James takes his faith serious. James wants to create this urgency in you and in me to take our faith serious. So let's start off. James chapter 1, verse 1. Hey, it's going to be back here on the screen too. I'm going to read from the Bible. It says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. All right, that's as far as we're getting today. You can put them away. We're going to stop here for today, seriously, because there's plenty uh, for us to talk about. You see here, right at the beginning, it's an opening. If, and if you don't know, the Bible actually, we know quite a bit about it. I don't know how familiar you are with it, but we know who wrote these books. We know a little bit about them. So we're going to look at that today. You see, that we, first we identify the author as who? James, right. We see the recipients who are whom? Yeah, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. We'll talk about that in a second. And then he has his greeting. And I love his greeting. It's favorite. We'll get to that too. But his greeting is this. Greetings. All right, that's about it. That's all he has to say as far as that. You see, the author 
right here would have caused everybody to lean in. He doesn't need to sugarcoat it. He doesn't need to say much because this is James. You say, okay. This is James, the brother of Jesus. Some of us knew that. Maybe some of us didn't. But this is Jesus' brother, and this is a big deal. Because while he's writing a New Testament letter, a, a book we call it, James wasn't always a believer. He didn't start off with this great relationship with Jesus. I mean, think about it. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the Lord and Messiah? Seriously, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was the anointed one from God? I mean, that would have been hard. In fact, the Gospels tell us that James didn't believe when Jesus was around. I mean, think about the ministry of Jesus. One story in John tells us that Jesus had been going around doing incredible miracles, turning water into wine, healing people from a distance by just speaking it. And then in front of 5,000 people, you remember he fed 5,000 people, or probably more people, but he fed all of these people with five pieces of bread and two fish? How do you feed 5,000 people or 10,000? The estimates are all over the place. But how do you feed people with five loaves of bread and two fish? How does that even work? How do you have this never-ending basket of food? But wouldn't it be cool? Let me ask you a question. If you had a never-ending bowl of ice cream, how excited would you be? <laughs> right, yeah, just a never-ending bowl. It just keeps coming and coming, right? That would be pretty awesome. But Jesus, Jesus does this massive miracle, right, to these large audiences. I mean, thousands of people. We look now, we look at some of these bigger churches, we're like, well, that's not in the Bible. Well, Jesus had one. Right. Thousands of people were following him and walking with him, and he's talking and he's preaching and he's, and he's feeding them. And so he's done this massive miracle with no caterers, no refrigerators, no microwaves, none of the modern conveniences feeding all of these people. And remember, think about 2,000 years ago, talk about being poor when you're poor. I mean, back then when you're poor, when you don't have much, even if you had a lot, you would still rather live today in your income than being rich back then, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, if you start thinking about those, no matter how poor you are today, you are significantly better off than the royalty 2,000 years ago. You have antibiotics, for instance, right? That alone changes the game. So they are very different. Thus, And Jesus goes around and feeding all these people. I mean, think about how valuable this is. And so what do you think people were doing? They were walking around wanting things from Jesus. I mean, if you had extra resources, they want you to share. Kind of like if you were to win the lottery, how many new friends and relatives would show up? You'd have cousins after cousins who'd come because they'd say, hey, you have all this extra, share with us. So Jesus, back then, 2,000 years ago, people were very poor. They didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have the food like we have. And all of a sudden, he can make all this food, all these resources just appear. So people were seeking Jesus out. Everyone's looking for Jesus. So what do you think people were talking to his brothers about? Remember, this is like real life. Think about it. What do you think they're trying to find his brothers for? Hey, James, you doing good? Yeah. Hey, where's Jesus? Hey, you seen Jesus? I got a sick relative. Hey, James, where's Jesus at? Do you know? Hey, James, you think you could put in a good word for your brother? I'm kind of hungry. 
right? Think about it back. You know how this works. And so back then, people would have been seeking out his family just to find his brother. That alone would be aggravating, but think about it even further. How irritating would it have been to grow up with Jesus as your sibling? Anybody heard of sibling rivalry? Jesus was the oldest. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Mary going, James, why don't you be more like Jesus? It's theologically accurate is the aggravating part. But could you imagine growing up in the shadows of Jesus? Now, see, I'm an older brother, and I helped out my brothers and sisters the best I could. I'm 10 years older, excuse me, I'm seven years older than one brother, 10 years older than a uh, different brother, 10 years older than a different sister, and 15 years older than my youngest sister. And I set the bar really good for them. You see, I graduated at 17 years old. And that means when I graduated high school, my next sibling, the next oldest, was in middle school. I graduated high school with a combined D average. Not joking, true story, really did. D average, 1.3. You couldn't even round it up. That rounds down. 1.3 combined, 9th, 10th, 12th. I forgot about 11. See how bad I am? Ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th, 12th. Combined average was a 1. Was it three? Yeah, I think three, five, something like that. Anyways, it doesn't matter. I graduated with a D. I used to get suspended for fighting every year, true story, which means, check this out, which means all they had to do was get a C and they look like geniuses. <laughs> That's it. That's the bar. If they got a C, I'm, true story, my middle sister, she got honor roll. We thought, oh, she must be going to Harvard. I mean, oh my goodness, who gets honor roll? We've never seen such a thing. Don't make fun of my family. Okay, it was hard times. But imagine coming up behind Jesus. Imagine the Messiah setting the pace. How could you deal with that? They would have grown up with Jesus setting the standard, being the perfect one, the oldest one, the one who gets everything right. And now they're older. They're starting to have a life of their own. And Jesus is famous. And everybody's coming to them saying, hey, where's Jesus? All it's ever been about is Jesus. What about them? What about James? See, there's a major festival going on. Everyone's looking for Jesus. Look at what it says. John 7, 2-3. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee. Go. Please, go away. Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Just come on, Jesus. Just go. Go where the crowds are. Get out of here. Next verse. It says, No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, Jesus. You want to be famous? You want everybody to know you? You want this platform? So any, anybody who's trying to gain this type of following Jesus, they, they go where the people are. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, Jesus. Just go out there. You say, well, maybe they were being kind. Uh-uh, verse 5, motives. For even his own brothers did not believe him. And this is James. They're egging him on. They said, Jesus, just go. You go do this. And most scholars believe that James is the eldest brother. He didn't believe. And would you? How hard would it be for you to believe your own brother who you grew up with? And remember, they didn't have these big, massive houses, and everybody had their own rooms, and privacy wasn't a thing. He saw everything. They did everything. How much would it take for you to believe 
lived in a shadow your entire life, what would it take for you to confess that he is really, truly from God? Well, it would probably take for you the same thing it took for him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, James didn't believe until after the resurrection. If you saw your brother die and then raise again, that may change your story too. See, Paul tells us that um, Jesus appeared to James. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 15, 7 through 8. It says, then he appeared to James. He's highlighted all the time. It's one of these details you can easily miss. It's like, yeah, no, he appeared to James. And then all the other apostles, last of all, he appeared also to me as one abnormally born. You see, this is the 12. This is the other James that we know of. But this is his brother. So we know he saw his brother. He appeared to his Brother, then we see James in the upper room didn't believe. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to him. Then we see in the upper room, um, after Jesus ascends back to heaven, it says, they all joined together consistently in prayers along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his. Ah, there they are. Now his brother's like, all right, if you can predict your own death and resurrection and pull it off, we're good. We finally believe you are who you say you are. You see, James went from an unbeliever to a believer. The resurrection, and and remember we believe this. This is like the center of our faith. We don't believe Jesus died and like kind of maybe rose. Maybe it's just like this idea. No, no, we believe Jesus literally died and literally bodily rose from the dead. And then his life was radically changed when you see that. Your faith changes. And when you allow that, the resurrection of Jesus to impact your life, things will be different. You'll realize that you don't have time to waver in your faith, that your faith is way too short. And we'll see next week, he will speak directly to any of you who are wavering. He calls double-minded, thinking, am I in or am I out? Do I love Jesus or do I love this more? What's really important in my life? He said, well, James, you're being hard. He says, no, I did it. I wavered in my faith. I ignored him when he was calling. I didn't walk with him. I didn't talk with him. I didn't do those other things. Instead, I instigated for him to just go and get out. You see, James knows what it's like to turn your back on Jesus. And I bet, I bet when he wrote this, he wishes he would have devoted more of his time to following him. I mean, think about you. Think about the regrets that you, the regrets you have and the things you've missed out on because of jealousy, petty jealousy, or being upset about something that really doesn't matter. Think about all the opportunities just because that you've missed out on just because of simple misunderstandings. And here's James missing out on his brother, who was God, and he missed out on it. And so when we study through this book, Remember, you're reading from a man who completely disbelieved and then became a believer. You're reading from a man who knows what it's like to waste his life, to miss out, to be caught up in pettiness, to a man who says, no, 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 no. This is serious. This is a big deal. We need to take this serious. Because as we said, if someone predicts their own death and resurrection and actually does it, we tend just to believe everything they say, don't you? I mean, it kind of works that way. Remember, we believe 
that our faith started in a real event in real history. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And when you believe that and your faith is centered around Jesus Christ and his resurrection, you can withstand anything that can happen in this life. It's the foundation of our faith. See, if you want faith that works, you lean in and listen to James. You lean in and remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So before we go any further, what is your faith based in? What is your faith rooted in? What is it grounded in? Is it, it must be rooted in the person and the works of Jesus Christ. And this is a man who knew this. This is a man who believes this. And when you study him, he will be challenging But remember why. Because he missed out on Jesus. He knows what it's like to waste his life. He goes from an unbeliever to a believer. But he doesn't stop there. He goes from that to a key leader in the early church. You see, after the resurrection, we not only find him hanging out with the other disciples. He becomes one of the key people. And we see Paul talk about this when Paul's working out his own faith and calling it says this Galatians 1 18 through 19 says then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas this is Peter and stay with him 15 days I saw none of the other apostles only James the Lord's brother and the way this is phrased can be tricky he's saying if you want to count James as an apostle if if you count him as one however you work that out in other words just know that he's saying hey I, I saw Peter but I also saw James so he met with James his brother and he's one of the ones that affirms his ministry Galatians 2 he goes on to say this he says James Cephas which is Peter and John those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. But here's what's important. Well, we're like, well, of course we see Peter there. I mean, it's Peter. We see him through all the Gospels, always speaking out, you know, tumbling around. But we always knew he had great faith. John, I mean, he wrote a whole bunch of books in the Bible, didn't he? That one who Jesus really loved. But now we see James. James is a pillar of the church, just like Peter, just like John, you see, I think after he came to faith, think about how much he knew. Think about how much clicked. I mean, after Jesus dies, rises again, all that stuff you used to get aggravated him about, you're like, oh, it makes sense now. I get it. That's what he was talking about. Okay, it's kind of like he had all this wealth of knowledge that was unlocked by the resurrection. He just said, okay, I, I get this. From unbeliever to believer to key leader. So that's who wrote this letter, James. The brother of Jesus. A servant of God. One of the most prominent leaders of the day. Now, when we get into this, one of the things you're going to see is how James talks about faith and works. James is a big doer. I appreciate James. He says, get off the pew and go do something for the Lord. Can we appreciate that? If not, you're going to not have fun over the next, I don't know how many weeks, over a lot of weeks, okay? You're not going to have fun. But he's a doer. He's like, look, get off the pew and let's get to the business of the Lord's work. But a lot of times people have a hard time with James because he may seem at odds with 
Paul. We'll get into those verses later, but one of the most important things to understand is James is one of the earliest letters or one of the earliest books written. Scholars think perhaps Galatians was the only book written before James. So most likely what's going on is James is interacting with people who've heard Paul. Maybe not read Paul because a lot of his stuff hasn't come yet, but they've interacted with Paul's teachings and they've heard the way Paul's talking and framing things. And so while before people could digest it, James is like, no, 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 here, let me explain some things to you. But I need you to understand up front that James isn't at odd with Paul at all. You see, when the church was first getting started, Jewish people, they didn't know what to do with Gentiles. They just had no idea. Remember, Jesus was Jewish, so were the disciples. we got to remember that when we read this stuff. Christianity just started spreading, and there was real concerns about, what about these others? What about these people we've always stayed away from? Those have weird law, the, the people who don't worship one God, people who haven't grown up with our traditions, they haven't grown up with our customs. What do we do with them? And so Jewish people, other teachers started teaching, well, this is easy. You can be saved with Jesus and following the laws of Moses. Jesus plus. Keep the customs and the traditions of the law and Jesus. Now, before we go, well, who would do something like that? Let me ask us a question. Especially if you grew up in church. Do you ever have the habit of saying, well, I know Jesus loves you, but you also need to... Ever heard that before? Or do I need, we need examples? I can keep going if you want. We're uncomfortable. Okay, we'll keep on. We, you get the point. Yeah, that's what they were doing back then. Jesus plus our customs, our traditions, our laws. Jesus plus. And, and this gets pretty serious because of what they were talking about. Imagine the altar call. Imagine them preaching, come to Jesus, salvation by grace. Come up front this morning, get baptized, and get circumcised today. How many guys do you think would have came up front? Like, that's, that's for real. That's what they're doing. Jesus plus circumcision. All the men would have said, well, I don't know. I got to examine this doctrine a little bit closely. I'm not too sure about this. They were saying Jesus plus this. And Paul and Barnabas, they were saying, no, 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 no. It can't be that. We, we've seen what God is doing. And so they started debating and, and they started arguing. It became such a big deal that they called a council together. They said, all right, we got to settle this. We got to fix this. So they got all the leaders of early Christianity together. They went to Jerusalem and they had a thing called a council. They came to Jerusalem. Who's in Jerusalem, you think? James. So they all come together for the Jerusalem council to work this thing out. With all the leaders together, Paul reported uh, people were coming to Jesus. Other people were saying, no, 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 you can't come to Jesus unless you're circumcised, unless they keep the law. And Paul said, no, that's not true. Peter gets up. Of course he does. There's a crowd. Peter gets up. He starts talking. He said, no, it can't be that way. Peter launched into a sermon said, look, we believe they're saved by grace, not making them keep a law. We can't make them keep laws that our ancestors, that we couldn't even keep. Like, 
We can't make them do the stuff that we couldn't even do. We can't do that to these people. And so that's the scene. Paul and Barnabas spoke up, shared stories. Peter spoke up. I mean, you got the heavy hitters of Christianity sitting in the room together. And then all of a sudden, when they finished, James spoke up. He settles it. James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for a name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. He's saying, all right, I hear what they're saying, and the prophets also agree with what they're saying. So he's, he knows his Old Testament, doesn't he? Prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, the things known from long ago. It is my judgment. This is when James speaks and he settles it. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And church, we got to pause here because 2,000 years ago, they fixed issues we still have today. It's already been settled by the brother of Jesus Christ. When he spoke, it settled. It was done. He gives a couple of caveats. We'll get to them in a minute. We don't have to worry about those, though, I promise. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Should we make it difficult? Should we make it hard for people who are turning to Christ? James said no. Absolutely not. It shouldn't be there. James spoke. It was settled. But he said, here's what the Gentiles shouldn't do. He said, they shouldn't eat food sacrificed to idols. They should abstain from sexual morality. And don't eat meat that's been strangled or eat their blood. You're like, that is the strangest set of rules. Well, some of them we've heard about. Basically, hey, this kind of stuff will really freak out Jewish people. They're going to get really uncomfortable with it. So, hey, tell the Jewish people not to go. I mean, tell the Gentiles, that stuff is too far. That's level 10. Don't do that. Like, don't, don't drink blood in front of them. That's going to freak them out. Don't do that. Don't do that, and then we can what? Come together. We won't make it hard for them. So here's some things they, they should stop doing, and then we can actually come together to be this thing called a church. The gathering of God's people coming together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Like all, let's take in some consideration all of our backgrounds, all of its experiences, and see how we can come together. You see, James is on the same side as Peter and Paul. James says, listen, church, we can't make it hard for people who are coming to Christ. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's simply Jesus. That's a really good book, by the way. Look up the title. Really good book. Don't make it people. Just because you have these elements, just because you have these traditions, don't force them on people. What you should do is cherish them. Relish that you grew up in that. Relish that these things helped you, that they helped you grow, and they help other people grow, and that worked for a time and a season and a period. But we never want to get to the place where we're forcing things on people, especially things that are abnormal to them. And so, no, right from the beginning, we read James and go, well, that sounds a little different than Paul. That's okay. Just know they've gotten the same room together and agreed together that reaching people with the gospel is very important. And we should not make it hard for people to come to Christ. James just looks at it from a little bit of different angle. That's why they're both in the canon of Scripture. 
pretty cool about James, isn't it? He's a pretty cool guy. So this is the brother of Jesus who didn't believe in Jesus when he was alive. The resurrection changed everything. And he became one of the early Christian leaders. And when he spoke, Paul, Peter, Barnabas, these names you've heard, listened and leaned in. So we have James, servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is his brother, right? That had to be hard for a while to write, but he got used to it. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. This is a very, very Jewish way of saying the church. God's people. They've all been scattered. Remember, it started in Jerusalem. The church started in Jerusalem. The upper room, the Holy Spirit came, all of that. That's where James was. And then Acts chapter 8 tells us that persecution broke out. We'll talk about this a different day. But God used persecution in order to scatter his church, sends missionaries all into Judea and Samaria, the surrounding areas. So from James's point of view, if you're not in Jerusalem, you're scattered. Aren't we glad? Just to let you know we don't live in Jerusalem. And if it wasn't for the scattering, we probably wouldn't be here today. The scattering, the people going all over the place. So he's writing people who are facing persecution. People who do not have it easy. And his advice is going to sound harsh, but it's going to be good. So James, a servant of God, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Last one we're going to look at is greetings. And, and I absolutely love it because if you're familiar with, with Paul's writing, he's very different. Paul writes, um, I don't know, he says like things like grace and peace to you. Paul says, I'm praying for you. Here's the great things. James, he's a man after my own heart. He's like this. What's up? That's it? Greetings. That's as sugarcoating as you get. We're jumping into it now. That's it. That's all you got. This is his rapport with you. Greetings. Not even high. Jimmy's like, I get this guy. I know you do, Jimmy. It's just like you, right? Greetings. That's all you get. So just prepare for this. Prepare for his style. He's direct. He's blunt. You can understand him. Which means one of the most difficult things, again, about his letter is that you can understand him. But it'll help you. Some of you are going to like him. Some of you are going to be upset with his directness. But here's the important part. This is a man who wasted a lot of his life in pettiness and silliness and rejecting his own brother. But it all changed. So know where he's coming from. You see, James, this book is going to be full of wisdom. It's the closest book in the New Testament, similar to the book like Proverbs in the Old Testament, full of wisdom. It's kind of hard to, to outline and follow his thought. He's kind of all over the place, which is pretty fun, I think. He's more like a prophet. Again, he's going to be in your face, direct. And James is going to shotgun it all, simplified. He's just going to throw these ideas out there and make you live with them. And so when we encounter this book, I, I suggest read ahead, go for it. Read and read ahead. He has a lot to say, but prepare for it. Prepare to interact with him. Pray about it because everything for him changed after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the question I have for you this morning is, how has your life changed 
since the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What has changed? Are you continuing to grow? Are you continuing to have a faith that actually works? And I say this with all love, but does your faith simply get you here on Sunday morning sometimes? What does your faith do? James would say, don't waste your life. I've spent too many years rejecting my brother. Don't waste your life. He's going to tell you throughout the book to get serious about your faith. He's going to tell you there's a difference between listening to God and actually doing what God says. He's going to tell you not to show favoritism, which when we get there, we're going to pause for a minute. He said, don't show favoritism to other people. He's going to tell you to think through your faith and think through the deeds that it's producing. He's going to tell you to watch what you say. He's going to tell you to embrace wisdom, submit to God, and to realize how short life really is. That's what's coming. So immerse yourself in it. Read ahead. Pray about it. And if you're here today and you're not familiar with them, if you're not familiar with Jesus, if you're not familiar with the resurrection, I think it would, James would say, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What, do, what are you waiting for to get serious about your faith? What are you waiting for? What do you need? He's done everything. He's demonstrated for us on the cross how much he loved us. So James would say, don't waste your life. Don't get caught up in all that other stuff. Because all of us will stand before him one day. And I hope, I hope and pray that you're ready for that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for James and his authority that he has by speaking to not just things that happened, but things that he witnessed. He saw Jesus grow up. He watched him grow up. He led one of the first churches. It's exciting, Lord, to have such a firsthand testimony in your word. Lord, we thank you for the Bible. Thank you just for the accuracy of it, the the way you just speak and use it to radically change and challenge our lives. Father, I pray for everybody here that as we think about James and as we start going through this study, Lord, I pray that your spirit just convicts and help us see the areas that we're wasting, that we're idly spending our time or perhaps not focused on you or even considering you in our day-to-day life. Lord, I pray that the resurrection we would embrace, the fact that we will live forever starting already is amazing and we thank you for that. Father, I pray if that anyone here doesn't know you, hasn't settled that, Lord, that you call them and they step out on that call. They embrace the gospel. They embrace your son. Father, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.